So as we get into Judges chapter 17 this morning, it's an interesting passage. Um, Chapter 17 and chapter 18 are really one story, but we didn't have time to get into the full story this morning. So we're going to look at the first part of it here. And it's interesting in in Judges chapter 17 and in Judges chapter 18, there's no judges, which is kind of weird, right? There's no judges in in this part of the book of Judges. It's sort of just background information, right? The author is is painting a picture of what it was like in the land of Israel at this time. And frankly, the author paints a pretty bleak picture. But I think that there are some valuable lessons that we can glean from this passage. So Judges chapter 17, verse 1. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. So here is the scene for our passage this morning. There's this guy who, who lives in the hill country of Ephraim named Micah. And apparently he's from a fairly prominent family. He's from a family that had some money because Micah's mom has 1,100 pieces of silver that go missing. And um, she's very upset. You know, she's hysterical maybe even. And I can picture the scene, you know, she's, she's flipping the cushions over on the couch. She's looking behind the dresser. She's looking everywhere for this for this pile of silver coins. And as she's doing this, it says that she starts to curse whoever stole the money, right? She starts to put a curse on them. Now, Micah, he hears his mom pronouncing this curse on the thief who stole her 1,100. looking at this situation with Samson and Delilah, that 1,100 pieces of silver was about $56,000 in today's economy. So, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not chump change, right? It's a, it's a big chunk of money. And so he hears his mom pronouncing this curse, and he says, um, Mom, it was me. I'm the one who stole that money. So, you know, I saw your purse laying there, and the shekels were just spilling out of it, and I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. He says, please, don't put a hex on me. Don't put a spell on me, mom. Don't put a curse on me. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. She says, oh, blessed be my son by the Lord. That little thief finally told the truth. How how sweet. Right? And and Micah, he gives back. And by the way, we're going to see in the text, it's not like he's an 11-year-old kid. He's a grown man with kids of his own at this point. He's an adult. Right? And and so he gives his mom back the 1,100 pieces of silver. 
And mommy is so proud. She says, I'm going to dedicate this silver to the Lord. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it down to the silversmith and have him make a carved image. Something's off there, isn't it? She's dedicating it to the Lord by going and making an idol. And we see also this picture of their, their family life is just a little bit twisted. The boy steals the money. The mom gets upset and she starts to cast a spell. So he gets scared. Says, it wasn't me. She says, oh, you're such a good little boy, Johnny. You know, and, 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 and so this whole thing takes place. In verse four. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became a priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So when Micah gives back the 1,100 pieces of silver, the mom says, I'm gonna dedicate these 1,100 pieces of silver to the Lord. So what does she do? She takes 200 pieces of silver down to the silversmith and he makes some idols for her. Micah, he takes these little idols home, makes himself a little shrine, makes himself a little ephod. And ephod was sort of the, the priestly garments that, that the priests would wear in the tabernacle as they're officiating. And he declares that one of his little boys is now a priest. Now it's interesting, number one, to note that the mom said, I'm going to dedicate these 1,100 pieces of silver to the Lord. And then she dedicates 200 of the pieces of silver. Oftentimes, this is how a lot of people are concerning the Lord. They make these pledges. Oh, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to serve God in this way. I'm going to support this ministry. I'm going to give this much to church. And then when it comes time to fulfill that vow, well, maybe not this month. Next month, I'm going to support that missionary. Next month, I'm going to do this, right? And it becomes this ongoing procrastination. Samuel writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4. He says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. What Solomon is saying is, look, you're under no obligation to make a vow to God. But if you do, you had better keep it. He says, otherwise, you're a fool. Now, in verse 6 again, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right? This verse has come up several times already in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
Tuck that away. We're going to come back to that verse in a, in a couple minutes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he sojourned, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Benjamin of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes for your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite. And the young man became his priest. And was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me. Because I have a Levite as a priest. So there's this Levite and he's out wandering around. And frankly, as I'm reading through the text, it seems like a homeless situation, right? It says that he's out sojourning, that he might find a place. He's just out backpacking around looking for a place to camp out. And it says that he was from Bethlehem. Now, he walks from Bethlehem to the hill country of Ephraim. And this is only about 15 miles-ish. It's not like he's on this, this great pilgrimage from the Shire to Mordor or something, right? It's, it's just an afternoon's walk. And, and this, this region is what would later become known as Samaria in the New Testament. And so the Levi, he says, look, I'm from the tribe of Levi. I'm from the priestly tribe. And Micah, he gets a little bit excited here. And he says, well, what a coincidence. I'm, I, I just happen to be looking for a Levite. He says, look, our family, we just made this little idol. We've got a shrine. We've got some priestly garments. And my son is sort of acting like the priest right now. He says, it would be awesome to get an actual Levite to come be our family priest. To give, our, to give our shrine, to give our idols some legitimacy. You can come be uh, my, like my father and my priest. He says, I'm going to give you a stipend. I'm going to give you room and board. I'm going to give you clothes. I'm going to take care of all your needs. Now, that would have been a pretty attractive offer to a homeless dude, right? I'm going to give you a place to sleep, clothes to wear. I'm going to feed you. And I'm going to give you money. All you have to do is act like a priest on Saturdays. And they go, oh yeah, that sounds like a good deal. I like that. So Micah, he ordains him as a priest. And he says, now I know that the Lord will prosper me. Because I have a Levite as a priest. Here's what I want to point out. And this is maybe a different perspective than you've heard before. And it never really even, I've taught judges several times before. And this never really occurred to me until this week. 
what does it look like Micah's intentions were through all this? The building of the shrine, the making of the idol, the priestly garments, the Levite, wanting a a priest for his home and his family. On the surface, when we look at this, it looks like Micah was trying to do the right thing, right? It seems like he wanted to serve God. It seems like he wanted God's approval in his life. Now remember verse 6. It said, And everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Everyone was approaching God in whatever way they thought best. Micah here, he wanted to serve God, it seems like. He wanted to please God. But he wasn't doing it God's way. He was either ignorant of God's word or he was choosing to ignore God's word. Either way, right, his actions didn't measure up. He wasn't living up to God's standard. And so I want to unpack both of those options and then look at a third option. The first option is this. Micah was willfully choosing to go around God's word. Micah was willfully choosing to disobey the Lord. Right? It seems clear that sometimes in the book of Judges and in the Old Testament, right, the people, they, they knew who the Lord was, but they didn't believe that he was sufficient. They knew who Jehovah God was, but they didn't believe that, they didn't believe that he was enough. They believed in God, but they liked what Ashtoreth and Baal brought to the table too. It's like, yeah, Yahweh's cool, but we also like Dagon because he blesses our crops, right? They wanted the things of God, but they also wanted the gods of this world. And many times they knew it was wrong, but there's like, I don't care. I want to do what I want to do because I want to do it. And I think that we see this all around us today, don't we? There are so many Christian churches, and this is an air quote scenario, by the way, Christian churches that, that are Christian in, in name only. They say they're a Christian church, but they're fully embracing the world and the philosophies and the practices of the world. And oftentimes they call it progressive Christianity. But you know what? Progressive Christianity is neither. It's not progressive and it's not Christian. You know, this progressive thing, people were deceived by the same sort of thinking in the Old Testament. People were deluded by the same sort of teachings in the New Testament. In fact, half of the New Testament, right? Paul, Peter, James, John, 
They're writing just to refute these, these progressive elements that are creeping into the church with their false doctrines. And these churches, they, they get so progressive that they're not even Christian anymore. You have these churches that abandon the most basic elements of our faith. These, they, they call themselves churches and they depart from the most foundational truths of our, of our belief system. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny the literal resurrection. They deny the inerrancy of scripture. And it's ironic to me a little bit that so often they call themselves woke. But the exact opposite is true. They call themselves woke, but the reality is they're spiritually asleep. They're spiritually caught in a slumber. Paul says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What Paul is saying way back then to the church in Rome is the time has come to wake up to the truth of Scripture. And just like Micah, these woke churches, these woke Christians, they're doing what is right in their own eyes. They're doing what they want to do. And they are not walking in obedience to the truth of God's word. In fact, in many cases, they're actively opposing the truth of God's word. They're actively opposing the truth of scripture. And just like Micah, they're in danger of judgment if there isn't repentance. Now the second option and, and, and I lean more this way in Micah's case. So we have this guy, Micah. He, he has some issues, right? He's stealing large sums of money from his elderly mom. It's probably not a sign of great moral integrity, right? Not a sign of a lot of character. But look, after that, you know, he sort of repents. And... And I don't want to look at his actions here, and not his actions, but, but the heart behind his actions here. And before we get into this, I, I want to say this. Oftentimes, when the Israelites made idols, right, they weren't necessarily making idols to worship Molech or Chemosh, right? Certainly sometimes they did, but not always. Sometimes when they made idols, they made these idols to honor Jehovah God. And that was the case back at Mount Sinai when Aaron cast the gold into the fire, right, and made those golden calves, right? They weren't intentionally 
going after false gods. What was happening is they were succumbing to the culture and to the worldly influences around them, right? They weren't intentionally making false gods. And so Micah here, he makes this idol. And he appoints, and some of you guys are like, where is he going with this? Let me unpack it a minute before you, before you start bringing your pitchforks and, and condemn me as a heretic, right? So Micah, he makes this little graven image and he appoints his son as a priest to preside over the shrine. And notice he, he's making priestly garments. He's trying to emulate what the priests might have worn in the temple. And when an actual Levite comes, he's anxious to, to get this, this um, Levite under contract, right? He wants his services. Again, he wants to further emulate what's going on at the tabernacle. Now, I think we have a tendency maybe sometimes to, to over-romanticize the ancient Hebrews. A lot of times we get this idea that they were very godly because they were, they were the people of the covenant, right? We, we sometimes in our minds, we have this idea that they, that they just went around studying the Bible all day, that all they did was memorize scripture, that all the ancient Hebrews did was, was sit at the feet of the great priest. The reality is most of these guys were a bunch of hillbillies. That, that's the truth of scripture. Most of them were uneducated. They were illiterate. They were scattered around this, this desert region, planting crops and raising goats, right? Especially during the book of Judges, this was, this was the dark ages for the Hebrew people. The, the, the priesthood, it wasn't very well established at this point. There was no temple at this point. There was just a fancy tent that moved from place to place. The people didn't understand the clear teachings of Scripture. And I think that there, we can find a direct parallel with our culture right now. I read a statistic that says in 2021, 63% of Americans claim to be Christians. Now, if you take just a, a brief look at our culture, it's glaringly obvious that the overwhelming percentage of our culture isn't Christian, right? And I bet you less than 25% of that 63% could even articulately present the gospel message. And I'm not even talking about having passages of the Bible memorized. I'm just talking about being able to explain salvation by grace and not by works. To explain why we need Jesus. Most people, the vast majority of people who claim to be Christians can't even explain the most basic tenets of our faith. And I think that's exactly how it was in the book of Judges. They had this identity as the people of the covenant. They had this identity 
as the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They had this identity as, as the people of, of Moses and Joseph and Joshua. But it was very much a cultural identity. Many of the Israelites had no connection to God. They had no commitment to the Lord. And so it was very easy for them to get sucked in to these influences of the culture around them. And it may well have been that Micah was doing his honest best to please the Lord. But you know what? He may have had a very sincere heart, but he still failed, didn't he? He still broke the commandments. He still broke the law of God. Centuries later, the Lord in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, he's, he's rebuking the priests for failing in their priestly duties. And he says this, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Other translations say, My people perish for a lack of knowledge. And what we see there is ignorance isn't an excuse, is it? The Lord says to these priests, my people are perishing because you aren't doing your job telling them about me. They aren't perishing because they're hard-hearted. They aren't perishing because they're rejecting me. The Lord tells the priests they're perishing because you aren't telling them about me. And I think this may have been the case with Micah. He may have simply had a lack of knowledge. I think that that was probably what's causing him to fall into idolatry rather than correctly worshiping the living God. His lack of understanding Concerning the scripture, what was, was what was going to ultimately cause him to perish. There are many people who are sincere. And sometimes they're just sincerely wrong. And they need someone to come along and explain the truth to them. It reminds me of Acts chapter 18. Remember in Acts chapter 18, we find this guy, Apollos, and he had heard about Jesus. And he's there and he's, he's preaching the name of Jesus. He's proclaiming the name of the Lord, but he didn't really understand the whole thing. It was sort of a misguided attempt to, to minister the name of the Lord. It may be very much like Micah here. And it says in verse 26, Acts 18, 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Priscilla and Aquila, they heard Apollo's teaching sincerely, but incorrectly. 
And what do they do? They pull him aside and they explain to him the way of God more accurately. That's a nice way of saying, they said, look, Apollos, you're here preaching, but you don't know what you're talking about. Right? And they corrected Apollos. And do you know what happened after that? Apollos went on to have a powerful ministry. He was used by God greatly to proclaim the truth. But he needed someone to speak truth into his life first. Turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9. And you guys, undoubtedly, you've read this passage before. It says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is a, a beautiful passage, isn't it? Right, Paul says, look, if you believe in your heart the gospel message, you'll be saved. And Paul, he goes on and he lays out justification by faith. And he says, look, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. I know all of you guys, I just ruined the message. You're all thinking about Michael Jackson now. Um, sorry about that. Um, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in these verses, he starts like, like building this great thing up. And then the beat drops in verse 14. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Paul says, look, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on his name if they haven't believed in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear? How can they hear the gospel message and be saved if there's no one proclaiming the gospel message to them? I believe that the world today is full of Micahs. It's full of people who want to believe. It's full of people who want to do the right thing. They're ready to believe. As Jesus says in John 4, the, the, the fields are, are ripe unto harvest. But there's a labor shortage. Right? The workers are few. It says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's no one doing the work. There's no one sharing their faith. There's no one evangelizing the lost. There's no one going out 
and making disciples of all nations. You know, that's, that's why I so readily invite missionaries to come share at our church. That's why the instant Tyler contacted me, I said, yes, come. That's why I'm so happy to have Sarah share, or Chris, or, or anybody else. It's, I, I want you guys to hear what the Lord is doing in our community, in our country, and around the world, hopefully, so that we will get inspired as well. That we'll get inspired to something greater. I'm hoping that, that hearing this amazing work in the Ukraine will inspire you to turn off Call of Duty, to turn off Netflix, and to get on your knees and to pray and to open up the word of God. It's my prayer that, that hearing what these other people are doing, it'll stir us up and we'll start to reach the people around us. And it doesn't have to start by going to Tanzania with Chris or going into the Ukraine. Every day, you interact with people who are desperate for the truth. Every day, you interact with people who are perishing for lack of knowledge. Let me suggest a third option here. Not an option to explain what Micah did, but to lay out what he should have done were he able. It's pretty simple. Read and obey the Bible. Now, I don't know if he had an option to do that or not. I don't know if he had access to good Bible teaching. I don't know if he had access to all the resources that are available on the internet. I don't know if he had access to 27 different translations of the English Bible. But I know who does. It's you and I. We have the resources. We have the word. We have commentaries. We have Bible teachers. We have all this stuff available to us. And there is no excuse for us not knowing the word of God. There's no excuse for us not proclaiming the gospel message to those around us. There's no excuse for us not doing what the Bible says. There's no excuse for us not to obey the Lord and to fulfill his call on our lives. Now, I get that this is sort of a, a rough ending to the sermon, but there you have it. In theory, it's simple. Read your Bible and do what it says. That's what I want you to take home today. Read your Bible and do what it says. Let me say it one more time. Read the Bible and do what it says. Guys, if we can do that, our lives will be transformed. Our church, our community, our country will be transformed. But it starts with 
reading the Bible and doing what it says. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the admonitions that we have in Scripture and the encouragement. And we thank you for your spirit that empowers us to to read the Bible and do what it says. And we pray that you would help us to do that, Lord. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.